What if you had a guide who could tell you how to bridge a gap between who you are today and who you're destined to be? What if each week you could hear a story of someone who has tried and succeeded, or perhaps tried and failed, but learned something in the process? Limitless Spirit is a weekly podcast where host Helen Todd interviews guests about topics and personal stories on defining life's purpose, pursuing personal growth, and developing a deeper faith in Christ. And what Paul says then is, if you're married, you have a duty to consider the sexual needs of your of your partner, whether you're a man or a woman. Now, where this gets really, I think, sideways and sabotages intimacy is when we only apply that to the person who has the higher sex drive. Yeah, for most people, they've never heard this. They just read in the Bible the rules of what not to do, but they don't understand the very basic question of why did God create sex in the first place? Marriage and healthy sexuality are under assault in our current culture. Sexuality is a subject that is not normally addressed in church, and when it is, it is mostly about the don'ts. What we're not supposed to do is clear, but what are we supposed to do? What is godly sexuality like? Welcome to the Limitless Spirit Podcast. I'm your host, Helen Todd. To talk about biblical marriage and sexuality, my guest on this week's episode is Dr. Julie Slattery. Julie Slattery is a clinical psychologist, an author, a speaker, and the president and co-founder of Authentic Intimacy. Julie earned her college degree in Wheaton College and uh, her master's in psychology from Biola University, and then uh, her doctorate degree in clinical psychology from Florida Institute of Technology. So her latest book is titled God, Sex, and Your Marriage, and it challenges the common assumptions couples have about sexuality. It presents a richer biblical narrative of sex as a metaphor for God's covenant love. In this episode, Julie helps to answer the question, what is God's perspective on marriage and sexuality? I hope you enjoy this episode of the Limitless Spirit podcast. Hello, Julie. Welcome to the Limitless Spirit podcast. How are you today? I'm well. Thanks for having me on. Well, I am very excited to have you um, on the show and to talk about your book. I will be honest with you. At first, I was kind of hesitant whether I want to have a podcast on the subject of sex and marriage. No, well, marriage is okay. But the subject of sex and marriage was probably like, oh, this is a little out of my comfort zone to talk about it publicly. But I really felt like this is a very important topic, especially right now when marriage is under assault and so is sexuality and normal, healthy sexuality. And uh, what a timely moment uh, for your book. So what what really prompted you to write it? Yeah, so uh, you're not the only one who feels hesitant to have those conversations. So you're in good company. Just to give you some background, I've been in the space of talking about sexuality, biblical sexuality for the last decade. Um, And so God very clearly called me into that space about 10 or 11 years ago. And so this book really comes out of a larger ministry of having spent the last several years 
focusing exclusively on what is God's heart for sexuality? How does that help us uh, address all the different questions we have around sexuality, whether it be in marriage or singleness or um, battling temptations or engaging with culture? So this particular book came out of... um, really having a much deeper understanding of God's design for sexuality and how that's appropriate in our conversations to understand culture. But now how does it affect our marriage relationship? And realizing that a lot of people who would say they have a relationship with God or a lot of Christian couples still aren't working with the right understanding of biblical sexuality uh, and they don't even realize it. So that was kind of the the impetus behind this particular book. And also I was thinking there is really no place for Christians to talk about it or to um, learn about it. It's not something that is taught in church. It's not normally a topic of sermons, you know, which is where we um, grow our spirituality. And uh, in, in light of a very, sexually promiscuous culture that we're living in, you know, we tend to, within the church circles, we tend to be on the other side and we just kind of like, it's a taboo subject. And unless you're having marital problems and, and, you know, you're already in trouble and you need a counselor, there is really no place for couples to find even the knowledge of what uh, sexual intimacy is in in realm of their faith. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Yeah, it's so true. I think the main message we get in church is um, this is what you're not supposed to do. Don't have sex before you get married. Once you get married, it's all fair game. Have fun, enjoy each other. Uh, when in reality, the vast majority of married couples struggle with their sexual relationship, and they really don't have. Um, biblically solid resources to turn to um, to address those kinds of issues. This is great, what you pointed out. Like, we're taught what we're not supposed to do. So let's focus on our conversation with what we are supposed to do to make our marriages better and and beautiful and passionate. And how how what is God's view of uh, perfect sexual intimacy? What What is your idea of sexual intimacy? Yeah, you asked a great question, Helen, even when you said, what is God's view of perfect sexual intimacy? And that's what we want to start with. Uh, You know, if we believe in God, if we've given our lives to him, then we're told to glorify God in everything we do. And Paul says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So what does it look like to to glorify God in marriage, specifically related to our sexual relationship. And a lot of couples don't know how to answer that question. And so I might even back up and say, okay, well, what do you think a great sex life is supposed to look like then? And uh, I I might put you on the spot, Helen. How do you think most people respond to that? Oh, wow. That is a hard question. (laughs) Uh Well, um, hmm. I think maybe when both spouses are satisfied. No, that's good. I think that's what a lot of people would say. So, uh, and you're right, that's an element of it. But if we go to the Bible and say, what does God say a great sex life should look like? What we really see in the pages of scripture is that 
sex was created to be a metaphor or an illustration of how God loves his people. So when we look at the whole context of Genesis to Revelation, we see God created marriage, including the one flesh union between a husband and wife, to be a physical illustration uh, so that we can understand how he loves us. And you see this throughout the whole Bible uh, in the and prophetic books and the law, you see it in the apostles' writing, you see it in what Jesus said. And so we have to say, okay, well then, as weird as it might sound, a great sex life means that my love for my husband, my sexual love for him and his for me, actually is teaching us more about Christ's love for his church. Uh, and so you're like, okay, like, let me just ask you, what do you think about when I say that? Does that seem even helpful to you? I'm speechless. <laughs> I have never, you know, I constantly go through the Bible, examining it and studying from different perspectives and aspects, but I have never looked at the scriptures from that point of view, Julie. You're just really (laughs) leaving me speechless for a moment. So let's, let's talk about that. I want to learn. Yeah, most people are speechless, but... Uh, but when you look at, say, the book of Genesis, the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 2, we're told that God creates man and then woman, and they're naked and unashamed in the garden. And then at the end of Genesis 2, it says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And that's literally talking about sex right there. Um, and that is before sin entered the world. Now, if you go all the way to the last book of the Bible, which is Revelation, we're told that there will be another marriage, uh, another union, but the language is that Christ will come for his bride and he'll be united to his bride. There'll be a wedding feast of the lamb. And if you read the whole of scripture, you consistently see that the first wedding, the earthly wedding is meant to be a picture of the final wedding. And Paul says this very clearly in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 and 32. He repeats Genesis, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. And he says, but this is a great mystery. I'm actually talking about Christ and the church. I'm talking about the wedding in Revelation. And then if you read through the prophets, How many times in Jeremiah and Hosea and Ezekiel and other prophetic books do they take the imagery of sexual fidelity and the sexual relationship of a husband and wife and apply it to God's covenant relationship with Israel? It's over and over again. Um, And so, yeah, for most people, they've never heard this. They just read in the Bible the rules of what not to do, but they don't understand the very basic question of why did God create sex in the first place? So let's pause here for a moment. So, so Mm -hmm. let's talk about why did God split? Because, you know, we are created in the image of God, but Mm -hmm. we're not alike. So, so there is male and female, although now it's a debatable thing, but we we will just go to the original uh, creation. So why did God have to divide humans into males and females? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think part of it is for us to understand that we really need to engage in intimacy in order to see the fullness of God. 
So these are mysteries, like why is there a Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? There's three separate that are one. And so there's an intimate relationship among the three. Uh, And in a similar way, you know, God has created us in such a way that we need each other in order to experience the fullness of understanding who God is. Um, So that would be my best guess at that. But God is a relational God. And from the very beginning of creation, he's expressing his relationalness to us. And even in the way he created us, uh, that we were created for relationship. We were created for intimacy. Um, And so we have to remember that in creation, God is always revealing. He's always revealing about himself. And so when he created a tree, he probably had Psalm 1 in mind. You know, like uh, a tree can teach us about how we need to have deep roots by water in order to grow. Um, And so... And so God is revealing through male and female. He's revealing through the fact that we need to understand each other in order to have a fuller understanding of God. Well, and uh, essentially, you know, that that longing that exists between male and female, the the sexual longing that is, you know, beyond our brain and understanding, that type of longing is symbolic of our relationship with God. Am I right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. So just, um, you know, like there's this yearning for the, for the bride, you know, the church, there is a yearning to be united with Christ. Like we can't wait for his return. We look forward to his return. It's a similar way for uh, a single person who is longing for this connection, this love that they don't have. Uh, their body aches for it. And so, yes, uh, the whole the whole aspect of romance and sexuality and marriage, like it was created to give us a physical experience that can help us make sense of spiritual truth. Okay, so let's talk about what does perfect intimacy, sexual intimacy, look like from God's perspective? Yeah. So, um, so the way that I kind of explain it in the book is if you think about a jigsaw puzzle, uh, you have all these pieces that you're supposed to be putting together, but if you don't know the picture that you're supposed to be creating, you can't do the jigsaw puzzle. And so that's why it's so important to know that what we're creating is something that is supposed to look like God's relationship with us. And in the book, I talk about four very specific ways that our sexual love is meant to be growing and how we emulate God's love for us. And I call them the four pillars of covenant love. And so the first pillar is faithfulness. Um, And we can talk about what faithfulness is and why it's so important to the sexual relationship. Um, The second pillar is intimate knowing that you are created for intimacy, not just activity. So in your relationship with God, you weren't just created to be dutiful and to read your Bible, you were created for intimacy with him. And the same is true in your sexual relationship. It's more about what, what's happening with your body. It's about the journey of intimacy. Um, the third pillar is sacrificial giving and love um, that in covenant, we should both be continually saying, how do I deny myself in order to meet your needs? And so there is this attitude of uh, putting each other's needs above yourself, like being unselfish in how you sexually love your spouse, both of you, not just one person, but both of you. 
And then the fourth pillar is passionate celebration that um, we regularly are told to celebrate our love for God through worship and praise and make a joyful noise to the Lord, uh, rejoice always in all circumstances. And the same thing is true in marriage, that God has given us sex as a way to passionately celebrate our covenant to each other. So those are the four pillars that I unpack in the book to give couples a roadmap of what it actually looks like to build the kind of intimacy that God created us to have. Well, I think it's an important book uh, for every couple, and we're definitely going to put a link uh, to it in the show notes so that our listeners can uh, easily find it. But um, let's uh, let's give them a little teaser. Like, what are some of the practical steps a couple can take towards that uh, perfect sexual intimacy? Yeah, I mentioned that first pillar. We'll talk about that for a minute. Um, the first pillar of faithfulness is so key. You know, the only way that we can have a relationship with God is knowing that he is true to his character, knowing that he is true to his promises. And God designed the marriage relationship to be similar. It can't work if you do not keep your your vows. You can't keep your word. And so um, what one of the things that makes marriage unique from any other relationship on earth is you are pledging yourself to another person. And our marriage vows are meant to reflect this, that you say, forsaking all others in good times and bad times, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, till, till death do us part, that I am taking my character and saying, uh, I am joining my life with yours, no matter what we go through together. And that is very similar to what Jesus says to us, I will never leave you or forsake you. You know, I will be with you. I'm not going to break my word. And I think it's really important to understand that if you don't work on faithfulness in your marriage, you really can't enjoy any other element that sexuality offers. And so couples who are engaging with things like pornography, couples that think that they can flirt and have open marriages, or they just keep secrets from each other, you are sabotaging your sex life because the only way intimacy can flourish is if you're true to your character and true to your word. Uh, that's how sex becomes safe. Um, and every couple is going to have to work on faithfulness, not just refusing to have uh, an affair. Faithfulness is so much more than that. It's the choice to to invest in one another. It's the choice to work through conflicts. It's the choice not to hold grudges, but to pursue each other. Uh, even through difficult times. Um, and like I said, if you try to work on sexual pleasure without s- establishing that foundation of faithfulness, your marriage will end up in the ditches um, because you can't truly let go and experience pleasure if you are not safe with each other. Um, so, you know, I think every modern marriage at some level has been impacted by pornography and uh and a lot of marriages are really dealing with this, but we have to address sort of the false paradigms that we come to sex to, that we learn from culture that really aren't healthy and certainly aren't biblical. That is very, very good. Very good point. And um, I, um, you know, I, I think that this is uh, absolutely foundational that 
we cannot be intimate with someone we don't feel safe with, that we don't trust, you know, so it's it's absolutely impossible. You mentioned at one point that um, sexual intimacy is not the same as sexual activity. And so let's talk about right. that. What is the what is the foundational difference? Yeah, so sexual activity is focusing on the experience of sex and what's happening with our bodies. And so when you're focused on sexual activity, you're asking questions like, how often should we be having sex? Um, how, what do I do with my desires when my spouse has different levels of desire? What if I'm not attracted to my spouse anymore? Or what if I have body image issues and I don't like the way I look? Now, those are important questions, but they're not the most important questions because they're just focusing on your body. They're focusing on the activity. Intimacy is when you learn to share the journey of what's happening with each of you sexually. Um, so let me give an example of this. There are situations where in marriage, one, one person in a marriage may not enjoy sex. Maybe it's because of physical pain or it's because of trauma from the past, or they just have difficulty receiving touch. And what typically happens in a couple like that is they get to the point where they're like, well, our sex life is just broken because we can't engage in sex. We can't have intercourse. And so what's the point? Well, a couple like that is only focused on the activity. Instead, what God challenges us to do is actually say, how do we share this journey of understanding each other's pain and brokenness? And how do we actually pursue healing together? Uh, how do we share each other's sexual journeys, not just focused on, well, we should be having sex once a week, but I want to know why sex is painful for you. I want to know uh, why you associate it with shame. I want to understand the ways that you harm sexually. Let's seek help together. Let's pray about our sex life. How few couples actually do that. Uh, and so now even a couple that maybe for time is not able to engage in intercourse, they're sharing sexually at a much deeper level of sharing their heart, sharing their journey. Uh, that's intimacy. And if we even look at our relationship with God, intimacy is formed more deeply in the difficult times than it is in the good times. Everybody says that. Like I grew closer to God through the hardest times in my life. Why would that not also be true in our sexual relationship where the barriers that frustrate us the most actually provide the greatest invitation to true intimacy. So um, let's talk about the term marital duty. Is it is it something that, I mean, from what you're saying, um, it seems like this could be harmful to intimacy or what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it is harmful. You know, I think when you get married, if we read that, the only passage that seems to talk about a marital duty is 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. And if you read before that, 1 Corinthians 6, what Paul is saying is that when you come to Christ, your body belongs not only to you, but to God. Therefore, honor God sexually with your body. Make sexual choices to honor God. If you read 1 Corinthians 6, that's what he says. And then he transitions into the application to marriage. And he's essentially saying now, if you are a Christian 
and you're married, your body not only belongs to God, but it also belongs to one another. And so you make sexual choices in a way that honors God and honors your spouse. And what Paul says then is, if you're married, you have a duty to consider uh, the sexual needs of your of your partner, whether you're a man or a woman. Now, where this gets really, I think, sideways and sabotages intimacy is when we only apply that to the person who has a higher sex drive. So let's say it's the husband. It's not always the husband, but let's take that as a hypothetical. The husband reads that verse and says, wife, you have a duty to give me sex when I want it. That's not what Paul is saying at all. What Paul is saying is you are called to steward your sexuality in a way that's sensitive to your spouse's sexual needs. That wife also has sexual needs, not necessarily to have sex all the time, but to be loved and understood and nurtured sexually. And so Paul is saying that if you're married, you have the obligation to minister to one another sexually. That doesn't mean having sex. It can mean that but it's the deeper call to share this journey together and to be sensitive to one another. Uh, That's the context that Paul is writing this in. He's not saying that one person should always give sex to the other person. That's not intimacy. And when we look at our relationship with God, like Christ never demands things from us. Uh, He never says, you owe me this. Uh, That's not, he says, I laid my life down for you. In response, I want you to love me as well. And so that's really more the spirit that we have to understand that passage from. So it seems like, um, you know, building this true sexual intimacy is something that requires a lot of emotional intelligence. And that's something that sometimes in marriage is lacking in one of the spouses, you know. So how you know, one, one person is more sensitive to the needs of the others or more intuitive. So how, how do couples deal with that? Yeah, it's a good question. I think we have to learn to communicate on the level that can be heard and received. Um, and so uh, it may be that one spouse really wants to talk about feelings and their experience of trauma or what sex means to them. And the other person really doesn't know how to talk about that. And a good way to start with that is just by using outside content, like the book, God, Sex, and Your Marriage, or like a podcast like this, so that someone else is explaining these concepts to give you the language so you can begin talking. Um, You know, like I think when you, you look at the title of your podcast, Limitless Spirit, you know, like the Holy Spirit is all about intimacy and he can give us the words that help communicate to one another. And I think it's so important for couples to pray about this part of their marriage and ask God for his help, for the Holy Spirit to help us to love each other well. Um, Helen, when I ask Christian couples, do you ever pray together about your sex life? Very few of them say yes. Uh, and this is like, okay, if we really want God's help, then why aren't we asking for his help uh, to bridge the gap of even our communication styles? Wow. So many interesting things <laughs> that I'm hearing. I, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of blowing your paradigm a little bit, aren't I? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, so um, let's talk about the um, perspective of 
passion and pleasure in a Christian marriage? What mm-hmm. what is um, the balance there? Yeah. So first of all, we have to understand why God made sex to be pleasurable. He made it to be pleasurable because it's the it's the celebration of our covenant promise. It's um, in some ways sort of like a sacrament. So in the Christian world, we do certain physical things to remember our covenant with God. We take communion as a reminder of the covenant that we have. And Jesus said, I'm I'm ushering in a new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. You know, take this bread, drink this wine in remembrance of me. And it's holy. And Paul says, if you do this apart from a relationship with Christ, you're eating and drinking judgment upon yourself because this sacrament is so meaningful. It's holy. And we have to think about sex that way, that God has given us sex as a physical reminder of the full life exchange that we made when we said our vows. I'm giving myself to you. Okay, well, now physically I'm reminded of that through the act of sex. We're giving ourselves to each other over and over again to remember. But God made this celebration pleasurable. He created the clitoris. He created dopamine and and endorphins and oxytocin that all create pleasure and bonding with the act of sex. That was his idea. And so he gives us this gift to enjoy together as a way of remembering and symbolizing our covenant with each other. When you experience sexual pleasure that way with each other, there's no limit to how much pleasure you can experience. It, God is like, go for it. You know, if you look at uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 1, the, in chapter 4 at the end, the husband and wife are enjoying each other sexually. And they've just had sex. They start using poetic language to say how much they enjoyed it. And then the chorus comes into the room, and which really represents the voice of God and says, eat friends enjoy, imbibe in your love, enjoy your love, eat to the fullest. And what God is saying to this married couple is you just had great pleasure and I want you to have more. I want you to enjoy this to the fullest. He's giving his blessing. And that is true whenever a husband and wife have sex together, focused on each other with the purpose of, hey, this is a gift God has given. God says, go for it. Like, this is why I made this pleasurable. And the world is distorting that pleasure, but this is the one place it was meant to be celebrated. Um, And so if we keep that mindset, then you don't have to ever feel bad about experiencing too much pleasure as a married couple. That's why he he made it that way. And so um, one last question um, for all of our unmarried listeners why is it so important to have sex in the context of marriage and why it's not really possible to have the true sexual intimacy and, and the full pleasure of sex outside of marriage? Yeah, so you can have temporary pleasure. You can experience some of the beauty of sex outside of marriage. But what you're doing is you're misusing that gift. Um, as I just explained, God created it to be a celebration of covenant. And when you separate sex from covenant, you 
the Bible again say, like you're bringing judgment on yourself. Paul says that you're sinning against your own body because God created this to be a symbol of a covenant promise. And you're having the party without the reality of the promise. Uh, And there are all kinds of impacts of that. We can look at the psychological literature and see that, for example, the more sexual partners, uh, particularly a woman would have, the higher likelihood she is to experience depression, anxiety, loneliness, insecurity throughout her lifetime. Uh, and so you're not helping yourself. You're, you're using sex as a way it was never intended to be used. And, um, you know, we were made for this, for intimacy. We were made for an intimacy that doesn't run away from us. And the whole hookup culture we live in today is sabotaging intimacy and is trying to replace it with the experience of sex. And, you know, every indicator of psychological health in our culture would show us we're getting sicker and sicker uh, as we use sex to replace intimacy instead of having it be in its rightful place as an expression of covenant. Even the abortion debate that we're having in our day and age, yes, there are um, difficult and unplanned pregnancy situations within marriage, but the vast majority of people that would feel that they need an abortion are outside of marriage. It's in the context of um, sleeping around or um, unhealthy relationships, a, a single mom getting pregnant and doesn't have the support of a husband or family, doesn't have the financial support. So I think the the ripple effects of what we've done with sex can be felt everywhere. Like there is some research that shows that 50% of Americans will have a sexually transmitted disease in their lifetime. And we have to, we have to link it back to as a culture, we are misusing this gift. And unfortunately we're experiencing the consequences of that. This conversation with Julie was so insightful for me. Her way of viewing biblical marriage and sexuality challenged me. She asked questions I had never thought of before. It reminds me of how important it is for Christians to have places and opportunities for these conversations. Whether you are married or considering marriage, I encourage you to find links to Julie's ministry, Authentic Intimacy, and also check out her latest book, God, Sex, and Your Marriage. You will find the link in the show notes for this episode. At World Missions Alliance, we believe that changed lives change lives. If you would like to learn more about what we do and how you can get involved, visit our website, rfwma.org. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Limitless Spirit Podcast. If you love what you hear, if you enjoy Limitless Spirit, I encourage you also to consider supporting this podcast. It is fully sponsored by listeners like you, and uh, any amount that you can donate will be greatly appreciated. Again, you can visit our website, rfwma.org slash forward give and find a way to donate. Thank you again for listening. Until next time, I'm Helen Todd. Limitless Spirit Podcast is produced by World Missions Alliance. We believe that changed lives change lives. 
If you want to see your life transformed by Christ's love, or if you want to help those who are hurting and hopeless and discover your greater purpose in serving Christ through short-term missionary work, check out our website, rfwma.org, and find out how to get involved.